Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Our Father, as we approach your word this morning, I pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds to your truth. I pray, Lord, that you'd continue to sanctify us, to shape us according to your truth, and that we might be a living testimony for the power that resides in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're still in Romans 15, and I'd like to point out that in last week's sermon, I made mention that Paul was living out his beliefs in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was active in his faith. And because he was active in his faith, that he suffered for it. And that is not limited to the life of Paul. Christ told us that by following him that there would be a cost, that there's a cost of discipleship. And when the Lord had told Ananias about Paul, then known as Saul, coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Lord told Ananias that Paul would suffer for his faith. And we actually saw that in Paul's life, and Paul described in his own writings that he did suffer for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's still valid for today. That today, if you live a vocal life for Christ, if you stand on the biblical truth of Jesus Christ, that it comes with a cost. This leads us to our focal passage this morning. I'm going to start at 22, even though our focal passage begins at verse 26. But let's start with Romans 15, starting in the 22nd verse. It reads, For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia to Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go to you by way of fame. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. In our focal passage this morning, I want to spend time on the Gentiles. After all, we're Gentiles. 
And so it makes sense that we would look at what Paul is telling the church at Rome about the Gentile Christians. And in fact, if you think about the verses before our focal passage, Paul had said that he was given a special ministry to the Gentile people. I'd also like to point out that as Paul is writing these verses, that he's writing these verses as a Jew about the Gentile people. And if you look back at the beginning of his letter to the church at Rome, and you put this in context with our focal passage, it makes a lot of sense. Because if you look at chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The Jew is first. Us Gentiles have been grafted into the tree. And so if you go to chapter 11 of Romans and you look at verse 17 in relationship to the Jew and then to the Gentile, it says, if some of the branches were broken off and you, the used the Gentile, so if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So in chapter 1, the Jew first. In chapter 11, we see that we were grafted as Gentiles. We are grafted into the tree. So now let's go back to our focal passage, because I want to put all of this together. In our focal passage in Romans 15, verse 26, he first talks about in 26 that Asia Minor is giving a contribution. They're taking up a collection, and we've seen this through other letters of Paul, that they're taking up a collection for the poor Christian Jew in Jerusalem. So you see that in verse 26. Look at verse 27. It pleased them, and they are their debtors. They are their debtors. So they're taking up a collection for the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. It says that they are debtors, and it pleased them to make that contribution. Why are we debtors? Why are we debtors? Well, I read earlier in the 11th chapter of Romans that we are debtors because we have been grafted into the tree. In other words, we've been grafted into the covenant promises of Abraham. So we're debtors. We say this in our modern speech. I'll give you an example. When I was in high school, my parents didn't go to college. And I really didn't know where I was going to go. My folks always said I was going to go to college, but I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know where I was going to go. But I had a speech and debate teacher that happened to be a Baylor graduate. I had already been to Waco with, to visit my uncle and aunt and 
they had uh, taken me over to the Baylor campus, and I thought that was a neat place, and of course, especially being from the Baptist tradition. But we were still kind of figuring out, well, how does all of this work? This getting to go to college and all of that, and of course, Baylor was a very expensive place to go. And my speech and debate teacher said, you get all of the paperwork, and you get that together, and you sit down, and I am going to fill out your paperwork. And I got all of my application together, I got all the financial aid stuff together, and she sat me down, and we filled all of that out. And then in addition, she gave me a list of all of the places that I might get a scholarship from. I filled all of that out at her encouragement. And then I got accepted at Baylor because of her in my first semester cost my parents $500. I will always be indebted to her. Still have fond memories of that. And we as Gentiles, because of the covenant promises of the Jews... And because we've been grafted in, we are indebted. Now, do I owe my teacher a cut of my earnings since I graduated from Baylor? No, no, but I'm indebted. That's what Paul's saying. We're indebted to the Jews because we're grafted into those promises. Now, as we think about the Jews and the Gentiles together, And out of being grafted into that tree, they give a gift. They give a gift to the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning. And I think it's safe to say that this contribution, this collection, this offering is a good work, is it not? It's a good work. And we brought up this topic Wednesday night in our study of Second John, is how should a believer look at good works? How does God look at good works? Why do good works happen? And I want to look at that in the context of these verses because it got me thinking from Wednesday night on, And then when I read our focal passage and was preparing for this sermon, I thought this is just a perfect fit. Because here we have the Gentile Christians. They're new to faith, aren't they? If you think about the Gentile Christians in the context in which Paul is writing, they are new to Christianity. And it's different than you and me. You could sit there and say, well, grandma and grandpa went to church. Mom and dad went to church. It's your tradition. And there's lots of people, unfortunately, that are relying upon their tradition, their background. They were kind of, quote, born into it, or so they think they are. But here we're back in the first century. And in the first century, these people came out of paganism. And in fact, if you remember back earlier, just a few chapters ago, I preached through that. That the Gentiles were having problems with having idle meat offered to them. Meat that had been previously sacrificed. So these are brand new Christians, not with a background in Christianity. 
but they were compelled to give a gift. They were compelled to do a good work. And that's why I think this particular example of a Gentile Christian who does not have a background in faith, something that we're not used to for the most part, what motivates them? Why did they feel the need? And I guess, first of all, we could ask a question, do gifts have a saving merit? Do good works cause God to look at me differently in regards to my salvation? And it's so very important that you think about that in that last phrase, in regards to your salvation. Because here we have Gentile Christians who didn't know a thing about Christ beforehand, and they're giving this gift And to answer that question, I want us to go look at the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 21. These are the words of Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. If you look at these words of Christ here in Matthew, he is telling a group of people, in the words of Christ, say many. It doesn't say a few. It says many. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Well, what's the disqualifier? What's the disqualifier here in Matthew? Is the disqualifier that they didn't do enough work? Their work wasn't acceptable? What disqualifies them from entering into The presence of God in heaven. The disqualifier is, I never knew you. I never knew you. The foundation of our salvation is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I never knew you. Now, did they have knowledge? Did they have knowledge? And they did. Because if you look at what... Christ is saying here, what do they call him? They call him Lord. So they had a knowledge of God. They had a faith, but it wasn't a saving faith. Because the foundation of salvation is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Well, how do you get to know Jesus? Do you stumble upon him? Does does just one day he appears to you and you have an epiphany? The Bible says that our faith is a gift. Our faith is a gift. We can't even claim that. So then if you look at Matthew chapter 7, good works 
good works in regards to your salvation does nothing. Reminds me of that great hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. It's Christ alone. It's Christ alone. So when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, our good works, there's nothing in our life that gets us there. It's just the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ revealing himself to us. Works do not save. However, works are the evidence of our salvation. Turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. This is what James says. What does it profit, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So here you have Christ saying works alone isn't going to get you here. And then you hear of James that says, if you have faith, you're going to have works. And I think Abraham and Rahab are great examples. Because if you think about the life of Abraham, in faith, his faith led him to action. Right? His faith led him to action. Was he going to suffer loss as he acted out in faith before God intervened? Absolutely. Because God told him to take Isaac up and offer him. He was willing to suffer loss. His faith was evident by his works. How about Rahab? Would Rahab have suffered loss due to her faith? Absolutely, as she was hiding the spies. Both of these examples, people took their faith, their acknowledgement of the Lord Jesus Christ of God, 
And they acted out in faith. Now, let's look back at our focal passage. Back to Romans 15. It says in verse 27, It pleased them, regarding the Gentiles, It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors, referring to the Jews, For if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. And here is a really important question as we look at our focal passage. Which came first? The spiritual or the material? The spiritual. The spiritual came first. Just as Christ deals with us today, He reveals Himself to us. Now before, you and I could have a life of good work. In fact, you and I could visit any college campus. We could visit any hospital or hospital district. And we could walk along the campus or walk along the hospital facilities and you and I could look up and we could see all of these buildings and they all have a name on them, don't they? Very wealthy people have given a lot of money to build libraries, to build other buildings on campuses, to build hospitals, to build research facilities. All of those are good works. But in regards to salvation, they're not good enough. They're not good enough. What happens when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ is our motivation to do good works isn't out of a life of merit because Jesus paid it all, didn't he? His work on the cross was sufficient. What happens is, is through the transformation of our souls through the power of Jesus Christ, we start to take on the character of God and by taking on the character of God, we start acting like God. In other words, if you are a Christian, you start having the compassion of Christ. If you are a Christian, you start taking on the sacrificial nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. You take these things on and that is your Motivation, And that was the Gentile motivation. The Gentile motivation was that they had brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem who were poor that needed their assistance and they were pleased. They were pleased. Well, they weren't earning anything. They weren't getting anything to their credit in regards to their salvation. Now, are there going to be rewards in heaven? Absolutely. But it's not Because of our salvation. Our salvation was bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has transformed us. And through that transformation, we are changed. And we're being changed. 
to look more like him. And so just as the Gentile people here in the first century were motivated out of love to give a gift to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, we too should be motivated by love to serve in the kingdom of God. Now, as we think about how believers are described in the New Testament, there's a lot of different descriptions, but for our purpose of this morning's sermon, I want to focus on the fact that we are described as the body of Christ. And it's not like a body of water. It is the physical body. It's comparing it to a human body where the eyes, where the hands, where the ears, we are the body of Christ. In other words, we have been given the task to do the active work of Jesus Christ here on earth. All of us. We have been called to live a life of activity within the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Just not preachers. We are to act out. And here you see this great example of the Gentiles that are taking up a collection and they were motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. I would say that one of the things, and I'm speaking of the American church, and I've mentioned this before, but one of the things that's missing in a society that desperately needs to see love in action, people need to see Christians living out their life in faith being active in their faith. I'd like to point something else out. They weren't using the gift as an attempt at evangelism. Liberal churches have tried that for years, the social gospel, to where, hey, we'll go out and we'll do these things and then people will just be drawn into Christianity just because we're nice people. All that does is is give them material needs. It doesn't confront them about their desperate need for Christ. But the offering was for their brothers and sisters. In other words, Christians need to take care of their own. And that's what they were doing. They were taking care of their own. I've seen churches step over fellow church members who desperately needed help to go and try to evangelize with good works. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't go outside of the church. We should. We should go outside of the church and help when we see that. But most importantly, we need to be aware of what's going on in our own church body if people have a specific need. It should always be focused on people who need the assistance within the church. Yesterday morning, I got up really early so I could get busy at the farm before daylight. 
And I was driving by this church, and it was flashing all services broadcast on Facebook. And I know we have a very active ministry here of broadcasting sermons, and it's good, and I'm happy about that. and, And it's a way for us to expand our ministry and what we do here. However, COVID did a really bad thing in the response to COVID. Is that flashes, you can watch us on Facebook. Am I going to know someone's problem unless they're here? I'm not. The body of Christ works efficiently when we come together as saints and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and know one another. We can be efficient when we know one another. Passing each other and saying, oh, well, see you next week. You're not being used efficiently within the body of Christ. And when you're not being used efficiently in the body of Christ, someone's need is not being met and you're robbed of the blessing. That's just how it works. But when we come together... When we worship Christ together, when we act out in love together because of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, someone's getting a meat met, someone is getting a blessing. That's what we should be about. And quite frankly, as the world looks upon us then and they see people acting differently, that's the attractiveness. That's the attractiveness. Going out and giving people things and expecting them to become a Christian? That doesn't work. Because it doesn't address the soul. Yes, we need to show the love of Christ. But to do good works out into the community, we can't use that as our evangelical effort. So many times people do that, they give things, and they don't say a word about the Lord Jesus Christ, don't say a word about sin, Don't say a word about the power of Jesus Christ. If you're going to do those things, at least share the gospel. And that's what we should be about. We should be about expressing the love of Jesus Christ, and most importantly, within our congregation, and that involves us knowing one another. And here you see it with the Gentiles. Yes, they were sending it to Jerusalem, but it was within the body of Christ. Just as we would take up an offering for a church that is suffering in a particular area. It's our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to be aware of that. Expressing our commonality in the body of Jesus Christ, in the power of Christ, in the power of His resurrection. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank You for this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be active in our faith that it wouldn't be an intellectual acknowledgement, but that you would use us. We acknowledge, Lord, that you've given each of us a special gift, and I pray that we would use it, that we'd be active, and that we would show others the love of Christ. I pray if there's someone listening that has never accepted Jesus Christ, that they'd repent, turn from their sins, and turn their life over to you today. Lord, we give you the glory in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.